Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday Social. I'm here with Heather Fazio, the director for Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy. How are you doing today, Heather? Hello, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, now um, tell me a little bit about this uh, Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy. What what is this, and how did it uh, how did it kind of start? Well, I've been doing uh, advocacy work as as kind of primarily an activist with a group called Texans for Accountable Government, uh, working on mostly privacy and civil liberties up until about 2013 when I was recruited by the Marijuana Policy Project to come on board and build a coalition in Texas focused on marijuana law reform. So I've been working with our allies uh, through Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy since 2014, where we have primarily found common ground with folks that span the political spectrum, really coming together on sensible and compassionate approaches to marijuana law reform. You know, we'd like to see penalties reduced for low-level marijuana possession, and we think that patients deserve safe and legal access to medical cannabis. These are positions favored by the vast majority of Texans, and we're ready to see the legislature take action on this important issue. Now, why is it that Texas still has some of the stiffest uh, marijuana laws on the books? that one of the biggest reasons is that advocates had not gotten serious about participating in the legislative process until recently. Folks have been, you know, rallying against prohibition and uh, talking amongst themselves about how terrible these policies are, but very few conversations were happening with legislators, whether at the Capitol or in the district during campaign season. And we've seen all of that change now that people feel more confident in talking about this issue. There's still a lot of stigma and a lot of stereotype attached to this issue. But when real Texans start coming forward to share their personal or professional experience, it really is very powerful. And that's why we've seen things advance so rapidly in the last few years, is folks are sharing those personal stories about whether themselves or a loved one could benefit from medical cannabis or if they were arrested and have been subjected to lasting collateral consequences for a conviction for even a small amount of marijuana. Um, So that's one of the biggest reasons why it took so long is just that these conversations weren't happening. And now that they are, things are moving very quickly, and thankfully so, because these laws have ruined so many lives, derailed the potential of so many young people, and deprived patients of access to medicine which is just unconscionable. Uh, so we're lucky to be having lots of opportunity now that people feel confident enough to come forward and share their experience. Now, how much of that um, unwillingness to, to come forward and talk has to do with, with the, the stigma of, you know, marijuana being looked at as a Schedule One drug and um, kind of... You know, there's so much of that stigma that's still out there, but we're starting to see more of it drop. And and is that is that contributing to these people actually coming out in favor of it publicly? Absolutely. Once people start seeing that there are professional efforts underway, it gives them the confidence to come forward. You know, many of those who support reform wouldn't uh, consider themselves a part of kind of the cannabis culture. So. You know, they're not going to go to a rally with people with marijuana leaf t-shirts and 
people smoking marijuana openly. And now that there is a space for folks that are, you know, average people to come forward in a place in a manner that they feel safe to do so, uh, we're seeing that change. And, you know, one of the things that, that you really uh, advocate for are the people that have minor marijuana charges already and convictions. Um, talk a little bit about how that can really affect a person's life, just having a, a simple, you know, a misdemeanor possession charge. Mm-hmm. Well, every year, Texas arrests more than 60,000 people for simple possession of marijuana. In fact, in 2017, uh, there were 64,000 Texans arrested for marijuana possession. And we're not talking about trafficking or distribution of marijuana. We're talking about the simple possession of this plant that we know to be objectively safer than alcohol and tobacco and, frankly, many of the pharmaceutical drugs that patients are prescribed every day. And unfortunately, a conviction comes with... so. Basically, two-thirds, an estimated two-thirds conviction. So in spite of the diversion programs that we hear happening around the, the state, you know, places like Houston that are no longer prosecuting any misdemeanor marijuana possession cases, El Paso, Bear County, Dallas, Austin, in spite of all of those places with their diversion programs, we're still arresting tens of thousands of people, with a majority of them ending up with a conviction. And, you know, we'd like to see changes made to the, pol- to the current policy that would bring about a, uh, a proposal that would eliminate the arrest, the jail time, and most importantly, the criminal record currently associated with even tiny amounts of marijuana. And it's because that criminal record that comes along with a conviction has lasting collateral consequences that can derail someone's life. And a majority of those that we arrest are young people. We're talking about high school and college-aged youth that are being saddled with criminal records that hinders their access to education, employment, housing. You know, their driver's license is suspended. Their license to carry, their right to self-defense is suspended for seven years in the state of Texas under current policy. Um, It really is just outrageous that a small amount of marijuana can add up to a life sentence for someone. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've I've experienced it myself. Um, Going to jail a few times just for, you know, simple possession charges. And um, the effect that that has whenever you go. And, you know, from my personal experience, just... Like, just for example, I had a, a simple, it was a traffic ticket, basically, for possession of marijuana. And um, what happened was, I guess they went from all their hard copy and switched it over to digital records. And so when they did that, somebody went in and coded it wrong, and it ended up coming up that I had a, a, a an arrest for trafficking marijuana. And oh, so wow. I didn't know about it until I was going for this job and I had to go do my fingerprint and background check and all this stuff came back. And I'm like, what in the hell? I'm, I've never been charged with a felony like that, like, you know, and so it was a whole big deal. So I, I understand how this thing and just having a possession charge on your record anyway, there's, like I said, that stigma that's there that that people still um, kind of hold that over you and you're looked at as a as kind of a criminal 
But uh, Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we don't think this should be criminalized. You know, people, responsible adults use cannabis. They always have and they always will. And these laws really have no effect on the amount of use. And they don't even affect abuse. You know, we talk about, oftentimes advocates will say that cannabis is harmless. And in many instances it is. But in some cases, it's not. And some people should not use cannabis, but we're not able to have that meaningful conversation because they lump in all cannabis users into abusers. And that's a significant problem because we need to have a meaningful conversation about substance abuse. Uh, But we're not able to do that while we're distracting the, the issue by lumping everyone into that category. Yeah, and I mean, I, I used to work in preventions, and people don't understand the difference between users, abusers, and addicts, and uh, that's a whole that's a whole another topic of conversation. But um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, it seems like there's been a lot of push for Texas to to go on ahead and go at least rec- uh, at least medical, if not full recreational. Um, now, this would have been something that I would have thought you know a few years ago there was no chance but with a red state like oklahoma where we're at going uh medical uh does that increase the chances of of texas maybe going that way well it is absolutely significant that texas is now surrounded by states that allow safe and legal access to cannabis for those with debilitating medical conditions I mean, we're behind Oklahoma and Arkansas, y'all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is embarrassing. I mean, we're talking about freedom. We're talking about getting the government out of the doctor-patient relationship and restoring the integrity of, of that relationship. To fight conservatives on getting government out of health care. Um, but uh, let me say, increasingly, conservatives are on board with this issue whether it's average Republicans or conservative-minded Texans or our Republican lawmakers. People are seeing that this is a meaningful uh, conversation to have, that real lives are being affected in their district, and they're having a change of heart. And, and that's what's moving the ball forward is opening their hearts so they can then open their minds to a policy change. And when people come in and share their story about a loved one going through chemotherapy, and utilizing cannabis to be able to just eat or sleep. Uh, those stories really resonate. And, and that's why things are really changing. And I'm very optimistic about our opportunity to see meaningful reform this legislative session. So how, how close do you really think that, that the Texas legislators are to, to passing something like this? Well, our legislative session ends on May 27th. So we have about a month and a half to get legislation through the process. And, you know, I I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. The biggest question is, how far are we going to get them to go? Are we going to be able to have a medical marijuana program that is on par with the other 33 states in our country where people with debilitating medical conditions have access to medical cannabis if their doctors think it can help? Or are we going to see continued limitations? Are we going to continue to see patients left behind by the Texas Compassionate Use Program, which currently only serves those with intractable epilepsy and only allows them access to low THC cannabis? There are multiple proposals that will make this program more inclusive by uh, adding to the list of qualifying conditions, 
removing the arbitrary cap on THC and making some other functional changes to the program so that it can be more inclusive and so that those who need it will have access to this medicine. And this, this legislation has already been introduced. Uh, that's right. There are over 60 pieces of marijuana-related legislation that's been filed by state lawmakers, and there are 17 medical marijuana-related bills. And they range from the bills that we're supporting that make this program uh, similar to the other 33 states. Uh, Representative Lucio in the House and Senator Menendez have introduced bills to do just that. But there are other proposals that bring the, the program along in more minor ways. Um, for example, there's one proposal that would allow those with any kind of epilepsy, not just intractable epilepsy, and those with muscle spasticity or multiple sclerosis to have access to this medicine. Uh, unfortunately, it would remain a low THC program, allowing access to only 1%. But that is a little bit better for those individuals, and uh, we're always glad to see more people having access, but it just reminds us that cancer patients are left behind. Those with PTSD are left behind. Those struggling with addiction to opiates because they're in chronic and severe pain are not going to have access to cannabis, which we know is helping to improve the quality of life for countless patients across the country. Yeah, and when you talk about low THC, like 1%, I mean, you're basically talking about CBD. Well, I think that there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding there. You know, CBD is one con component of the cannabis plant. And our program is a low THC program. That is true. That is another component, THC. But there are a lot of other cannabinoids within the cannabis plant, A lot, all the terpenes that are included there that all have therapeutic value, and there is not a restriction on that. So it's important that we make the distinction between, between those two types of products. You can have a CBD isolate product, and some people benefit from that, and that should certainly be legal. But in Texas, we're actually allowed access to the whole plant with very low levels of THC. So uh, you're right in, that, in the common uh, context. That's how people refer to it. But I think that it's really important to understand that we do have access to all the other cannabinoids and the terpenes, which, again, are, are, can be very therapeutic for patients. Now, how many, how many of these um, bills are there that are, that are going to go back and wipe, like, records clean for people that had, you know, uh, just a small amount of marijuana or whatever? Unfortunately, none of the bills are retroactive, and in Texas, it's a very difficult thing to do, uh, especially when we're talking about convictions. We could take action, and I think we should, to uh, expunge all of the arrest records for those who were not convicted or for those who had their charges deferred, uh, and those changes can happen, and I think that they should. It's more difficult, though, when it's a conviction is the only way to get a conviction off your record is a gubernatorial pardon, uh, or if you're a minor, to have it sealed. Um, other than that, it's very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it means that someone will continue living with that record, even though we ultimately decriminalize or legalize in Texas. That's, that's crazy. I think that's one um, part of 
of legislation that is going to need to change. And I think if we see if we see Texas change on this um, on this idea of of medical marijuana being okay, I think it's another another big step to um, getting the national level, getting marijuana off the schedule one, which a lot of people are saying it's going to happen within the next two years anyway. Um, is that what you're hearing on your end? You know, I do think that that'll happen. And frankly, it would be very smart of our current president to do that. It would be a, it's a winning issue. Uh, this is going to win over a lot of independent voters or people who don't care too much about politics, but care about this particular issue. And I think that it would, it would be a really good thing if we saw these uh, laws change at the federal level from a, a political standpoint, um, as far as campaigns go. But I also think that there is generally an appetite for criminal justice reform like we've never seen. Democrats and Republicans alike working together on lots of different criminal justice reforms. And marijuana definitely is a conversation there. I mean, we arrest more people for marijuana than all violent crimes. I mean, it is such an incredible drain on our resources. And frankly, we have to start thinking about uh, how we can better manage the uh, drug trade. And I think that the way that we can uh, manage it better is by regulating it, bringing it into the light of day. As far as marijuana goes, you know, we've already seen trafficking uh, plummet, marijuana trafficking, that is, plummet over the border because people are choosing to buy American products. They'd rather see cannabis from Colorado or from California than they would from Mexico. And so that's helping to cut down on that. But the way that we can really cut down on not only the trafficking across the border, but also just the, the entire criminal element that is uh, created by prohibition, you know, there is ne- there is necessarily a correlation between violence and the marijuana market cur- and currently in Texas because of its illegality, because people that are, are distrib- distributing it have no legal mechanism for protecting themselves or for, uh, you know, working out disagree- business disagreements. And so it becomes violent. But when you bring that market into the light of day, this is just like alcohol prohibition. All of the violence we saw during that time period was because of the alcohol trade in the, in the criminal element. But if we, as we did with alcohol, bring this into the light of day, we don't see, you know, the, these various beer distributors having shootouts in the street. And it's because they operate on above board. They operate in the legal playing field. And if they have a disagreement, they can take it to court. Well, they don't have that now. And so it ends up, people end up resorting to violence. And that is expected. That is what happens in a prohibitionist uh, era. And what we need to do is bring this market into the light of day, where there's a transparency, where there's accountability, and where there's a legal recourse for not only uh, business disagreements, but also for consumers to be able to have recourse if a product is contaminated or add uh, different levels of the various cannabinoids on the label versus what was actually in the bottle. You know, we have a lot of good reasons why this market needs to be brought into the light of day, brought above board, and allow legitimate business owners to operate and manage. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's really um, some ideas that were believed to be very radical before that are are starting to look more and more doable. Um, Like, 
like regulating all of these schedule one drugs to where um, you're going to be able to know what's in them and not have to worry about um, fentanyl laced and, you know, all these different things. Because if you get the, the pure, the pure drug without any of the dirty stuff, the stuff that they're cutting it with, you're a lot less likely to overdose even on regular drugs. And we know that, you know, drugs are going to be here regardless. People are going to use them. And, you know, like you said, anytime there's prohibition, you basically just create that black market. You're you're creating a, a way for people to make money in the black market. And whenever you can actually regulate it and bring it above ground, like you said, I mean, I, that's really important because, you know, that that's that's another big part of it. Even even just having it legal for medical use creates a black market for everybody else that doesn't have the money to get their their license or whatever mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah so I, I think i think there's a lot a lot to this now you said um earlier in your career you you worked a lot on privacy and civil liberties and i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that because I, i'm kind of interested in that too Sure. Well, um, oh goodness, which campaign should we talk about? Well, you know, one of my, uh, one of the most exciting campaigns that we ran on because I felt so passionately about it and we worked, worked it from so many different angles to finally find our uh, success was in a, a case in, in San Antonio and one of the school districts, they were requiring students to wear name badges that had RFID tracking devices. Now, radio frequency identification can be very helpful technology. Um, There are two types of RFID tagging uh, or microchips. One is where the kind that many of us have used. When you use it as a key card, uh, you hit it against a panel next to a door and it opens up. Mm. Uh, That's a passive RFID. Uh, what we're talking about here with these children who were being required to wear RFID track active tracking devices in their uh, name badges, uh, they actively emit a signal wherever they go. And RFID readers will be placed at a distance and they can track the children where they are. Now, the guys, the, the reason why they did this was to say that they can track it, whether or not a child is on campus so that they can determine if they're in attendance. So because, you know, they look at children as inventory. And every child that's on the shelf that's in the seat is is money. And that's why, you know, truancy was illegal and jailable for so long, is because if you're not there, the school isn't getting state dollars because you aren't in attendance. Now, they look at this as, you know, keeping kids safe, making sure if they're on campus, we can make sure they're where they are. And that is, uh, I think, um, I don't support that on principle, but that isn't as bad as what the worst case scenario is, is that people can get RFID readers and hackers can do this easily, is to, uh, is to hack that RFID reader into being able to determine the frequency that these tags are on and to be able to know, for example, whether or not a child is in a house that has no cars outside of it. Wow. Um, they're able to track the movements of children with they play, wherever they place these RFID readers. 
this is a significant health, uh, uh, you know, well, health and safety risk um, for these kids. Um, on top of it being reprehensible that we continue to look at, at children as livestock or inventory in our school systems, which is exactly how they look at our children. There's a whole other thing as far as the school systems go in this country. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a there was a student who wanted to see these. Uh, they, she didn't want to wear one. And she had a kind of a religious reason why she didn't want to. And our big uh, push was that there needed to be an opt-out policy. And so we worked with the school district, speaking at the uh, school board meetings. Uh, we had rallies on the streets with signs and bullhorns, bringing attention to this issue, hosted a community forum uh, so that students and teachers and parents could learn more about this program and how to get involved. Um, in addition to the local action, there was a federal lawsuit and there was state legislation introduced and testified on. And it's worth noting that the only people that testified against the legislation to allow parents to opt out of this program, it's not even abolishing the program, just allowing individual parents and students to opt out. The only people testifying against it were the manufacturers of those RFID tags. And that was, for me, in 2013, on full display, seeing how corporatism works in this country. Yeah. And how there is no shame in how far they will go to ensure that they have a market to make money off of our kids and off of bad policy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what we talk about on, on another one of our shows a lot is, you know, if you want to know what's going into a bill, because they usually try to throw all kind of other stuff in there, um, you always follow the money. And see who's who's backing this and who's the ones that are uh, going to gain from this, you know. And I think we're seeing a lot of the same in in the the marijuana policy because I don't know who has a, a bigger, um, I guess, piece of the pie to lose if it's uh, this private prison industry or if it's uh, big pharma or or even these the local these local small town law enforcement. You know? So uh, yeah, you know, any anytime, anytime something like this, it you know seems like common sense that it should be legal. You just gotta kind of follow the money. So. Um, yeah, but, I totally agree with that. And we need to start looking more seriously at campaign finance reports, uh, you know, who's at the Capitol, who's contributing to campaigns, because it all makes a difference. Um, but one thing that I'll note, you know, we hear advocates, activists, especially on the Internet, talking about big pharma, talking about the private industry, the, you know, the, the prison industrial complex, which is all true and valid for sure. But I'll tell you that more than their influence, it's our lack of participation in the political process that has gotten us to where we are. Exactly. So we should not continue painting this big boogeyman of big pharma controlling our system when so few of us are actively engaged. We cannot be represented by those in the Capitol if they don't know who we are and where we stand on this issue. So we have to get engaged. We have to build relationships with our lawmakers. Whether or not we agree with them politically on one issue or another, having those conversations, building an uh, honest and open relationship is really, really important. So I encourage everyone to look up who their legislators are. You can do this by Googling who represents me in Texas. It'll give you the opportunity to enter your address 
and it'll tell you who your federal and state elected officials are. In Texas, we're look at the state level with the policies we've been talking about today. You're looking for your state representative and your state senator. And notice that they have capital office contact information, which is here in Austin. But many of them, most of them, in fact, have district offices. These are offices that are near you or in your area of the state where you can call or you can schedule an appointment to go visit with their staff in those offices. And if we're serious about passing legislation this session, we have to do that. There is no substitute for each and every one of us making that personal contact. And I'll tell you what, if we are not successful by May 27th of this year, we do not have another opportunity until 2021. That's another 120,000 people who will be arrested and prosecuted for marijuana possession. That is countless patients suffering needlessly without legal access to cannabis as medicine. We have to make sure that we take this seriously and all of us get engaged in this process. Well said. Well, thank you, Heather, for joining us. If you're just now, uh, you didn't hear it the first, we have Heather Fazio with us, the director at Texans for Responsible Marijuana Policy. So uh, thank you for coming on, Heather. Hopefully we get to talk to you again. And uh, good luck down yeah. there, man. We're, we're pulling for you up here. Well, thank you very much. And uh, please consider uh, contacting your legislators, making a donation to our efforts. Uh, you can visit texasmarijuanapolicy.org to sign up for email alerts and updates along through the process and to make a contribution to the advocacy work we're doing at the Capitol. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Definitely. You have a great Sunday, everybody out there. Thank you for joining us. For everybody here at Talk Job Radio, I'm Thomas III saying peace. <laughs>